0: Two, the whole chapter is kind of broken up into actually three or four sections, so, so let's look at these briefly, let's look at the four parts that this chapter, there's a lot here, by the way I should also stop for a second and let you know that there are going to be a number of chapters, it's, it's a ways down the road, but there are going to be a number of chapters that we really take the time to break apart. So we're going to be spending more than two weeks on those. For instance, chapter 11, I once wrote a paper that was, I forget how many parts. It could I have been 17. S- yeah, 17, 17 chapters. Just on Daniel 11. There is so much information in that chapter. So when we get to... Chapter 11, we're going to be on it for a while. When we get to Chapter 9, it's probably going to take more than two weeks. Uh, chapter 10, so we'll just go until um, Jesus returns or whatever happens. And we finish, but just to let you know, there's there's some immense truth in here, and even though much of Daniel has been fulfilled from our perspective there's still a decent portion of it that remains unfulfilled. So we need to bear that in mind as we go through this. So it breaks into four parts. First, um, and we're talking about the first 49 chap- forty-nine verses here. Nebuchadnezzar's dream takes about 13 verses to go through. And then we've got God reveals the meaning of the dream. But of course, he doesn't reveal it to Nebuchadnezzar. But what I think is fascinating here is Nebuchadnezzar, being the king, had the dream. He didn't reveal the dream or the information directly to Daniel. God revealed it to Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king that, that God set up for good or for bad. And so He revealed it to him, and he knew. You're not going to get the meaning of it. You're going to ask your counselors, your wise men, the Chaldeans, soothsayers. You're going to ask those guys. They won't have a clue. And there's one guy that I'm going to anoint, named Daniel, who will be able to give you that dream. So God reveals the meaning of the dream in verses 14 through 23, and of course that's through Daniel. And then Daniel explains the dream. It takes him a little bit to explain it. And we can see why when we get into that next time. And then finally, Daniel and his friends are promoted. Remember last time... Uh, we kind of ended with the fact that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were all, um, they were tested by King Nebuchadnezzar and he was so impressed with them, they were like 10 times better than anyone else, meaning they were heads above the rest. So what did he do? He immediately took them into his administration and gave them important roles in that administration. You know, and (laughs) they must have really impressed him. They must have really impressed me. I don't know if you uh, ever bore yourself by watching some of the press conferences we have with the current administration. I, I, I don't bother, but every once in a while I'll tune in and, and I look at I listen to these people. First of all, m- many of them make no sense. And then the others are just outright lying. You can tell. It's like, no, that's not even close to the truth. Um, and I remember when Trump was president. You remember during the press conferences, the people in the, in the uh, seats, the press, were jumping on him all the time. Rude as all get out. I mean, everything you can imagine. They were just—they wouldn't even let him finish a sentence. Biden, or what's her name, his press secretary, they can sit there and outright lie, and the press doesn't push back. So we have this kind of thing. But this was different with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a king. He didn't have a press secretary. He spoke for himself. So he was impressed with those four young men. And we remember at the last time, at the end of uh, chapter one, that he promoted them because that's how impressed he was. So here, at the end of chapter two, or at least up to, uh, to verse 49, he is so impressed with them again, he gives them a promotion so remember what I said last time that um, as soon as he took them into his administration you could probably look ahead and realize this is going to cause a problem with those guys who had been wise men and counselors before Nebuchadnezzar became king because they were, they were the wise men and counselors for his father yeah. and who are these four upstarts from? Jerusalem they're Jews what are they doing? Why are? Why is he taking them into their administration? But you can bet when they were in front of Nebuchadnezzar, they pretended like, "Oh, that's a beautiful. That's that's. Oh, that's yes, absolutely. That's a beautiful. That's such an intelligent decision, Your Highness." But inwardly, they were opposed to it, I'm sure, and we see that come out. So here's another reason they found fault with these four young men. And these four young men, by the way, did absolutely nothing wrong. They followed God. They were committed to God. Because they were committed to Him and living correctly, living the right way, God honored them and promoted them in Nebuchadnezzar's administration. And because of that, they became targets, as we'll see. All right, let's go through this. Uh, This is the text. This goes up to verse 6. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dreams. So they came, and they stood before the king. Now... I get this sense, by the way, that he may not have waited until morning. Mm. He's the king. I want an answer right now. And if you're one of the astrologers, magicians, sorcerers, or Chaldeans, you don't sleep in. You get up, you get dressed very quickly, and you go and see what the king needs. (coughs) And the king said to them, I have a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Now that's interesting. He had a dream that troubled him and it troubled him to the point that it woke him up and would not allow him to go back to sleep. That probably never happens to anybody in here, right? You sleep through the night peacefully like a baby. Well, he didn't. He woke up and then guess what? He's implying here in verse three, I don't remember what the dream was. Now he's implying that. He may have known what the dream was, but he's an extremely intelligent man, as we'll learn. Verse four. Well, then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. Oh, king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give you the interpretation. I can already see the cogs on, right? They're going to come up with some doozy of a, oh, that dream, yeah, that, this means that, that, and the other. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, Oh, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces. Your house shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive honor from me, gifts, rewards, great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. I'm picturing in my head that Nebuchadnezzar was just very firm, non-plus. No, no, no. This is the way it's going to happen. You're going to tell me what I dreamed, and then you're going to tell me the meaning of the dream. Okay. So, verse 6. Okay, we finished that. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Okay. So, there's a lot going on here. Let's keep reading. They answered again and said, (laughs) they're getting nervous now. Who can blame them? They answered and said, well, let, let the king tell his servants the dream and we'll give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me the interpretation. He's not an idiot, and I have a sneaking suspicion God probably placed that somewhat on his mind, so that he would. I mean, this is a this is a really. Unheard of thing for any king to ask his counselors. Verse ten. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, "There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter." Well, they're they're actually right there, aren't they? Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests. There is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. But wait a minute, I'm confused. Isn't that their job? Isn't that their job to look and seek for answers in the spiritual realm? Isn't that what they do? They're wise men. They're astrologers, they're magicians, they're sorcerers,
1: they're called that's what they do. But the king knew those kind of people, they could tell him anything.
0: Exactly. And he wanted to get to the truth. And to him, the best way to get to the truth was to figure out, can you tell me what I dream? If you can't tell me what I dream, then why should I trust your interpretation? So we'll keep going here. Verse uh, 12. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. All right, well... Alright, let's go back to verse 1 a little bit. In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, not sure when this was exactly. Some commentators say it was during Daniel's study program. Others say it was just after he completed the program. So it must have been around 602 600 BC, right around there. Since he was deported, carried off in
2: 605.
0: So, his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him, verse 1. Of course, that's Nebuchadnezzar. His spirit was troubled. He woke up with a start. He kept on thinking. Something gnawed at him. And he couldn't let it go. It would not let him go. Well, haven't he had that dream multiple times? Say what now? have he had that dream multiple times? I don't believe so. Well, I thought that's what it said. He has it Where? In the mm-hmm. second year, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was but so strong. I, I think you're thinking of another part of Daniel. But if you can find it, let me know. Okay. So Nebuchadnezzar literally had a nightmare that woke he him up with a start and it caused him to wake up and think seriously about what he had dreamed and he could not recapture it.
2: Could <laughs> not recapture
0: it. Well,
3: this is dreams, plural. Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing
0: dreams, plural, and he couldn't sleep. So maybe that's why I got that. Maybe that's it. But it was this one incident. Okay. So Nebuchadnezzar certainly believed the dream to be significant because he couldn't remember it. And he remembered how it affected him. That's what he remembered. So Nebuchadnezzar demands to know verses 2 through 9. And of course, he turns to the people whose job it is to provide insight, wisdom, clarity. So. He goes to them. He wanted to know the actual dream he dreamed and the meaning of the dream. So, it's possible, some commentators believe that maybe Nebuchadnezzar had a general sense or maybe a very vague remembrance of the details of the dream, but he didn't even remember all the specifics to it. That's possible. It's also possible that he understood, he, he remembered the dream. But he wanted to, he was determined to find out if they were going to be truthful to him, so he would tell that. Or, you know, um, something along that nature. Could they tell him the, the dream as well as the interpretation? Look, as far as Nebuchadnezzar was concerned, if they could provide an interpretation that came from the gods, the spiritual realm, how hard would it be to also tell him what a dream? I mean, come on. <laughs> really. I... Um, <clears throat> Well, wow. okay. Nebuchadnezzar has a reason that if they could tell him what he actually dreamed, then they'd probably be able to tell him what it meant, the truthful interpretation of it. He wasn't really asking a whole lot in reality. He really wasn't. He didn't think he was. So, again, the wise men made their living, providing on the supposed ability to contact gods and spiritual beings in another realm that we can't see. So, if that's what they did, and that's how they got paid, why couldn't they do this? Some god would be able to provide that information, right? Some entity would be able to tell them, oh, this is what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed, oh, and this is also the meaning of it. How hard would that be? Didn't seem like it would be hard for Nebuchadnezzar. So, it's possible, Whoops, this one's going to come up again, sorry, I put this in there twice guess Alright. So, the king's threat. This, this seems maybe odd to us, but the king's threat to having them cut into pieces is exactly in line with what kings did in those days. Mm-hmm. And it, they did it for several reasons. Can you think of any? Feed their animals. Pardon me? Feed their animals the dogs. Oh, yeah.
3: You know, dogs are going to heaven, I heard.
0: They are. Don't you forget that, Sam. <laughs> 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 yeah what else what else would they do why would they <coughs> cut why would they go to this extent why not just behead the person or throw him in prison or kick him out of the kingdom why go to that terrible extent and and if you've ever read how they how this was well, done it's not pretty well now I'm going to detail I can only go
3: to another period of time where the kings of England would like oh, it's a guy. They quartered him and then they sent different parts of his body to the outer regions of the
0: realm. It's like a spider. That's it. It makes a statement. If he is going to do this to his wise men, then it sends a message to every wannabe wise man that you better know what you're doing. Because if you don't know what you're doing, and I figure out that you don't know what you're doing, this is what's going to happen to you. It's, it's amazing how death makes people kind of honest. The threat of death. So, and I mentioned that. I won't go into those things. But there are some gruesome nature. This this type of execution is pretty gruesome. Uh, so the chapter provides the first mention of the use of the word called being here in, in this sense. And what it means is literally a class. Of soothsayers, but it can also be um, a cultural thing. So the Babylonian word for an astrologer priest, and their word for supposed master race, were hominids. So Chaldean—if you call someone Chaldean, it either meant they were an astrologer priest, or that was their culture, the Chaldean culture. Mm. It, it could mean both, either, but each retained their own meaning. So. Uh, the sound Chaldean is Tazdu in Babylonian. It's just—it's just really interesting the way the language works. We have words like that as well. So Daniel understood this, and as we're looking ahead, we need to be aware of this double meaning because it's also used. The word is used in uh, in its racial sense in Daniel three eight and five thirty. So when we get there, we'll, we'll realize that they aren't necessarily. Astrologer priests in that instance and in that instance, but it's more of their race or their culture.
1: I think another thing on this, the soothsayers. Yes. Nebuchadnezzar was not all that old. No, he was he was like thirteen when he when he assumed the kingship. Right. And, and uh, so look how intelligent he was already. Yeah. But uh, I think his, his age caused him to take this path because these were older guys and he knew they, they could twist stuff. And yep. Uh, yep, I agree. You 100%. know what them to do. They you know, yep. don't tell you anything but nothing.
0: Absolutely. You gotta watch them all. <laughs> no I agree and the thing is with him it's, uh, it was a good test for these guys who had been around forever with his father and he's like do I really need these guys
1: and do I trust Should them I t- do I trust them
0: <laughs> I, I inherited them with my father's death just like I inherited being a king but are these guys really going to serve me what's the need so good point thank you you all. So the Chaldeans responded to King Nebuchadnezzar in Aramaic, which is very interesting because this section of Daniel from 2, verse 4 to chapter 7 to 28, verse 28, is in Aramaic, not Hebrew. Why is that? Well, because we're dealing with the um, the language of the Babylonian Empire. So the, the events that unraveled here or came about, it, it was all surrounding the Babylonian Empire, which at that point was the center. Jerusalem and Israel was off to the side. Only the representatives of Israel and Jerusalem, Daniel and his four friends, were were what kept the the thread of Israel going. But it was mainly the Babylonian Empire, which Daniel had learned as part of his education, and that was part of his training. So in the three years he was studying, all the culture and the arts and all this, he was also learning the language. Was
3: the night
0: of that's what I'm.
2: That's
0: what I read. Yeah. Okay. So in Daniel two, three to ten, wise men attempt to explain to the king why they could not ask what he did to do what he did. They couldn't do what he asked. Except the gods. Was, this is really funny if you stop to think about this because their job was to converse with these gods in the spiritual realm. That's supposedly what they did. So, why weren't they doing it? Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar got the sense that, oh, they're they're just pulling my leg here. They're just fakers. They're fakers. Okay, I know what to do with fakers. So he, you know, he did it. He sent the order. And the bottom line for Nebuchadnezzar is, look, if you can't answer these two simple questions, what good are you to me? And unlike today, where we have to, you know, vote people in or out of office, he didn't have to do that. He can just get rid of it. Well, these guys lived high
3: on the hog. I'm sorry, what? They were part of the king's court, so they
0: they lived high on the hog. Oh, they did. They had great food, great access, riches, robes. They got a pretty penny for their work. Exactly. Absolutely. So these, the wise men's answer to was not good enough. It didn't make sense to him at all. didn't make sense. In fact, their answer prompted their execution. That's how much sense it didn't make. The king became very angry and recommended that all wise men in his kingdom be destroyed. And it almost gives the impression that um, so the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. I don't know if they just started gathering them up or they had already started actually physically killing them. And so when they got to Daniel and his companions, well, Daniel was concerned. What? Why am I going to die? I, I wasn't even in there before the king. Well, I don't get it. But he was very polite and respectful. And God had given him favor among his captives. So this included Daniel and his three friends. They had been accepted into the king's administration and he viewed them as culpable even though they were not physically standing before him at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why they weren't there, actually, but they weren't. And as Will pointed out, he was a fairly new king at this point, very young, but he still had a good head on his shoulders because I'm sure he studied his father. Mm-hmm. He watched, he learned, he listened, he emulated. Who was the man? Pardon me? Who was the pop? Neville, Nab- if I can say this correctly, Neville Nabopolesk, yes. So he took over from his father, Nabopolesk. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, Sam. He could have been using his situation as a test, as we've already pointed out. And that says, did they pass the muster? Apparently not. They're on their way out. So Daniel 2, 14 through 16, Daniel speaks with Ariadne. And then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Ariok, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Can you imagine? That's your job. That's your job. You have to be your head over the eunuchs. You're the chief steward. You have to take care of all the administrative responsibilities happening in the palace under King Nebuchadnezzar. And when he gives a command to go out and kill the wise men, you don't sit there and go, well, king, do you think this is a good idea? You just do it. I mean, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So here is Ariok, and he's heading out to kill them. And so Daniel, with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Ariok. And he answered and said to Ariok, the king what? really is, instead of answering, it's really saying, question, but he's doing it in a very polite, respectful way. Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Why am I about to be killed? Then Ariok made the decision no to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time. How is it Daniel was able to go into the king? Because he was part of his administration, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was already... Hired into the administration, so he had access. So he was very, very respectful, and he was mm-hmm. taking a huge, a huge leap of faith here, you know, wasn't he? And yeah, you don't know how Nebuchadnezzar viewed them. Obviously, you know, he already
3: had a good impression of these four uh, Jewish guys. You know, right? They were probably in their late teens or early twenties. He's 14, 15, 16, mm-hmm. So he may have looked at them as like an older brother, or. They're
0: young guys, but they're
3: still a little bit older than me. Sure. Yeah. Be like them one day.
0: Yeah. And even so, this was still the king who had the power of life and death. So Daniel understood that. And I'm sure when he went to the king, he was completely and the utmost respectful.
1: Ariok was, he was the type of guy, you know. He didn't question the king. Right. Come, got the guy. Come on, you, yeah. We're, we're gonna kill right. you. Right. Right. But Daniel, in his sue, saying, you know, calmly asking him, "What's the king so mad?" Right. Asked. Right. And then he said, "Let me go to the king." Yes. Because exactly. I think Ariel knew the history of Daniel with, yeah. It, with it. Yeah. It's For whatever it. reason.
0: He was allowed to go see the king, and when he went before the king, he simply asked the king that the king would give him time. Well, he might have also
3: thought that he, was, he looked, be like, because obviously he wasn't there the first time. When the, right. The first was a bit right. drama unfolded, so uh, you know, not goes to the king and said, well, you know, you didn't really give me a chance, so give me some time to ask this out, and I might be able to come back with an answer for
2: you.
0: Yeah, and either way, the king looked favorably on that. So here is a man in the king who was ready to slaughter every last wise man in his empire. And then Daniel comes in, and I'm sure God went before him. And basically, you know, because of that, Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, fine. All right, all right, you got a little bit of time. So Daniel went to his house. This is important. He made the decision known to Hananiah, Bishael, and Azariah, otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, this is an important point for us, one of the points I wanted to mention today. Um, David wasn't stalling. He knew it would take time to hear from God. And Mark mentioned this today. Uh, the lesson for us is really the same here. Often important decisions that we make the answers don't come poof, no. just like that. Sometimes they might. But I don't know about you, but I can look back um, on some really important decisions we had to make. And uh, it just didn't happen overnight. No. But when it, the answer arrived, it was like, oh, <laughs> oh, I get it. And, and you realize what God was doing at that yeah. point. But up until then... We had to simply trust and know that God had heard and would provide the response and the direction when we needed. Um, when we moved back here from California, it was really interesting because when we knew, the only thing we knew is that we knew we had decided to leave California. And we had a number of reasons for doing that. It had become affordable to us. Um, The taxes were so high, and now, of course, they're much, much higher. And the cost of living, in general, was getting out of reach. It was just ridiculous. So we knew, we we felt very, very strongly that God was going to lead us out of California. We had no idea where. None. And it probably wasn't until a couple of months before we actually moved that we got this strong sense that God was opening up a door here, and it was funny why we had never thought of it before. We had often vacation here; because my sister and brother-in-law lived here, his family lived here. We had visited often, and it never dawned on us this is where God would have us move. But it turns out that's what He did. And then once we realized that was the answer, it was like we were on surfboards or skateboards, just being kind of carried along. With the waves, and our job was to hold on, and that's what we did. And it was just absolutely astounding. But again, that did not happen overnight. So the lesson for us is sometimes it takes time, and you know that as well as I do. So, um, and the same thing happened again. They got together. The other point here is, uh, what did he do first? They sought. Pardon? No, they sought mercies from God. So they prayed. Right. So he went to his friends yeah. and he said, guys, we need to join together, man, and we need, to, we need to send our request to the Lord. We need to do it as a group, as yeah. well as individually. Yeah. And that's, so the second point for us is that we have to rely on each other in prayer. Amen. Not just for doing stuff. I mean, you know, it's funny, Sylvia and I, the people in this church constantly amaze us because of the love they have for one another mm-hmm. and the love they have for people in the community. And it's absolutely astounding to see what goes on in this church sometimes. And that's amazing. And that's because people's hearts are directed to God and they wait for him and they do the things that they they believe God wants them to do. So, the other thing that they do is they come together in prayer. You can't go this alone. And God doesn't expect us to go alone. He wants us to rely on Him alone. So Daniel was willing to put the time in to wait if the king would grant his request. And he did so by talking to his three friends and asking them to join him in seeking prayer, wisdom, and insight from the Lord. So we need to be doing that as well. And... I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't pray enough. It seems like I'm too busy sometimes. As a matter of fact, Sylvia and I have started this. We started a while ago, memorizing scripture, and I've got this app on my phone that I use it really helps me to memorize. It's called Verses. Um, but it seems I was going gung-ho, 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 gung-ho. I had about 12 different verses that were completely new to me that I was memorizing. And it wasn't just one verse. Sometimes it was three verses in that section. And then all of a sudden, I stopped using the app and I didn't even realize I wasn't using it anymore. So then all of a sudden I can only remember two verses. Mm-hmm. So now I have to get back into it, which I'm doing, and I'm re-familiarizing myself with the verses that I had memorized, but when you stop, all of a sudden they're gone. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? Satan takes my So we don't emphasize prayer enough at least I don't, and memorizing his word, Mark was talking about that last Wednesday. So community with God is extremely important. Daniel understood it. His three friends understood it. I, I bet we all understand it, but do we do it enough? Yeah. Is there something that keeps us from doing this? This is the hardest one for me. Praise for his responses to us. When I'm praying about something that's really heavy on my heart, it is very difficult for me to on that request or look to the time when God's going to respond to it and start praising him for that response already because of my heart I can't get there but I need to I need to force myself to get there because God is already at the end I mean if we were to look at this line on the floor this crack and let's say that end is um, the beginning of creation and that end over there is the end of creation well to us we're like a tiny 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 dot right there on one part of the line. God's like this. Okay, let's see. Um, oh yeah, that's what you can know. do. I'm not trying to belittle what God does, but you get it. In a glance, he can see everything instantly at the same time. We are on the timeline and that's where we're stuck. So we can't see that necessarily, except through the eyes of faith. Daniel and his friends did the same thing. They saw it through the eyes of faith. And God ultimately revealed what his will was for Daniel, becoming interpreter of this. And it took time. So together, all four young men sought God for his mercies, for his wisdom, for his revelation. All right, Daniel reacts to God's gracious revelation in Daniel 2, 20 through 23. And did I already read that? (coughs) I'm sorry, What? No? Okay, so let's look at 20 through 23. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forevermore. Now remember, um, in verses 16, Daniel went in and asked the young men, or the king to give him time, then he went to the house, and he made the decision known to his companions that they might seek God's mercy, and so that they wouldn't die. And uh, with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. By the way, their revelation from God Say, the lives of all the other wise men who have not been killed yet. Do you think they were grateful for it? uh uh-uh. no. As we'll see later. <clears throat> then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And then in verse 20, Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the kings, the man. So his first response is praising God. Which is something that we should all be doing every time, but we don't, right? Some of you may do it much better than I do. I just, it, it's such a hard thing to remember. So, this is interesting. What did Daniel pray or praise? Well, he praised God because he changes, he removes, he knows. Daniel praised God for his power and might. God knows all things backwards, forwards, inside, And God is mightier than a mighty king like Nebuchadnezzar, whom God placed into office. He gives, he reveals. When he says, you have given, you have made known to us. Daniel believed God would provide. If not, he would die. It was as simple as that. And then the lesson for us is, our level of faith is often indicated by how long it takes us to start praising God. God. And this one really speaks to me because I don't do it enough. I simply don't. Um, My overactive mind and brain can keep me worried about something or occupied on it until it starts to affect my outlook. And then I really have, if I realize what I'm doing, then I know the only way out of that is through praising God. And that is so difficult because of my personality to do that. On the other hand, my wife, it seems easy for her. It seems easy for her. Certainly she does it better than I do. Whoops, am I done? Okay, so I guess
2: we're can done for Can time. you go back? Huh? Can you just go back? I didn't get all the notes. <coughs> oh, sure, right there.
0: I thought I had more slides. I thought I had one more. Your fisherman is going away. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did he catch anything?
3: He usually does, so I'll run. There we
0: go. Okay. I have one more slide. I think next week we're going to
2: get to... It's not It's not showing.
0: Why not um, oh, oh, never mind. I know Not in presentation. Okay.
2: We're gonna get into this, but here's just a brief look at this thing.
0: This is exactly the way the statue looked, by the way.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alright. What genetic has dreams and what we'll learn about is that. There was a statue, a big, huge statue sitting on the plane. At the top of it was made of gold. The breast and arms, the chest and arms were made of silver. The belly and thighs were made of brass. The legs were made of iron. And then what's interesting is when we get down to here and then as he's dreaming all this, he sees this huge stone, the Bible says, that's cut without hands. And then, uh, not cut with hands, and it basically smashes... Notice it hits here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then this the, right on the feet in the statue, sorry, I can't see this. And the funny. statue is destroyed. Wouldn't you think that you would throw something at the head? Mm-hmm. But there's a reason the stone goes here. And that reason is because each of these sections represents the next empire that took over. That's historical right there. Babylon, Medo Persia, Greece, and Rome. That's historical. That all happened. So we will get into that starting next week. Does anybody have any questions? Comments? Yes, Sam, dogs do go to heaven.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's a a really really good, it's laid out very well because it applies so often to other books of the Bible. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes.
2: so it's a good mental
3: picture this
0: is a good mental picture because
3: because it applies to other books of the bible
0: right. this this
1: plays into the other prophecy, books of the bible
0: the prophecy portion is you know mm-hmm. revelation there's Ezekiel there's Joel Zechariah parts it's fascinating stuff well it's not every kingdom of the world it's just one that interrelate
2: with Israel say what now it's, the only, it's only the kingdoms
3: that interrelate with Israel right
0: not every kingdom in the world. You don't know, see the United States to Well, yeah, right, right, but you know what's even more interesting, too, along those lines? Assyria's not here. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, that's not here. So it started, and this is specifically referred to, and Paul refers to this, too. This is the times of the Gentiles. Specifically, a specific period of time called the times of the Gentiles, when the Gentiles will travel the courts and rule over Israel. That's what's happening today, too, by the way. So we are obviously after Rome, but before the revived Roman Empire of the future. So it's yeah. interesting. Any other comments, questions? Well, it's interesting that uh, the stone goes
3: to the foot, which is a foundation, and yeah. more are, you go attack the foundation. Attack, you attack the foundation. You, you know,
0: know, another weak spot, but the foundation is usually yeah. Weak spot. Yeah, you destroy that foundation, that statue is going to just fall. over. Exactly. It's also, we I'm sorry? All those previous Yes. Yeah, this is the final kingdom, which actually morphs into this. So it's this kingdom, the revived Roman kingdom, that the stone destroys. And let me just comment on this real quick. in strength. So gold is soft. Yeah. You, ever, you ever watch those um, western movies where some guy got a gold something or other or some pirate and what did they do they do? They bite it. And if it bends it's malleable then it's most it's likely gone. really gold. Yeah. That and the weight of it. So Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was by no means as strong as Rome. Even Greece was stronger than Babylon. Even the Medo-Persian was stronger than Babylon. So it became stronger and stronger and stronger and mightier. And that's exactly what happened in history. Babylon was not that huge of a kingdom. Each successive kingdom absorbed what came before it and made it bigger and mightier and more powerful. So finally, one second. Finally, the revived Roman Empire that happens will incorporate the entire world. Yes, go ahead. Well, they also became uh, more hardened. Exactly. Uh, in respect to you know, uh,
3: Babylonia and even the Neo Persians uh, were kind of oh yeah uh, soft on uh, the people they conquered. Right. Right. Well, it's so like no, no, much. Um, right. But there's or? some interesting unique <laughs> challenges to each thing that
0: will go over. Anyway, so, any other questions? Comments? It's fascinating stuff. It really is. So next week, we're going to go over, starting at verse 24, where Daniel explains the dream, and it's going to incorporate all of that, and that'll get us to hopefully 49, verse 49. We'll see how far we get. I don't want to rush it, but um, we'll get there. Okay. What is that cool. last thing? Which? Um, I see the other statue. What is that? Right
2: no, here. is that a man
0: in oh, the man? Yeah. No, that this, statue, yeah. yeah. that's that's just Caesar on a pillar.
2: Caesar on
3: a
0: pillar? You know, like, I've got yeah. supreme authority. He's just standing on a Roman oh, yeah, she, toga. Yeah, he's wearing a toga. Yeah. All right. And if you'd like, yeah, you if you'd can like, if you like, I can print out one of these for everybody next week. Yeah, so, yeah that'd be good. Yeah, I'll do that. All right. Well, let's close in a word of prayer, then, shall we? Lord, thank you that we can look at your word and know that it glorifies you because of what's happened throughout history and what is yet to happen in the future. And because things that you prophesied through prophets like Daniel and Ezekiel and Joel and many, many others, because those things uh, were prophesied before they happened, but looking back, we know they happened, then we can look forward and go, well, what God prophesied about the future from our standpoint is going to happen as well. So we are grateful that we worship the only wise God, our Savior, who knows everything, who has all power, who is able to lead us in spite of the (coughs) arrows of the enemy and how the enemy works to discredit Christ and discredit Christians. We are thankful that you're in our life through the Holy Spirit and we ask that we will be allowed to give greater room for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives by giving us discernment, strength and a greater interest in serving you just as Daniel and his friends did as well. Thanks for this time. Thanks for these lovely folks. Give them travel mercies as they go home and we ask that you'll bless us this week with greater awareness of you working in and through us. In Christ's name, amen.